what are some rational fears? Your wife. Irrational fear is fear of something that presents clear and present danger. <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> clear and very present, very proximate <laughs> danger. If you're here last week, we talked about proximity, about being close. about So anything that is close enough that could harm you, that could be a rational fear. It's like at the zoo, like the gorilla on the inside of the cage, you're like standing out there like, hoo, you know. That's not, that's, if you're kind of scared, that'd be irrational. But if you're inside the cage and you can smell his breath, that's rational fear. You want to be afraid, afraid of that. So um, how about, and I'll just give out some examples, venomous snakes. Uh, that, tr- that truly freaks me. Even non-venomous snakes kind of scare me just a little bit. My brother texted me earlier last week and said he was walking, they just bought some property and it's kind of like, haven't cleared it off yet. And he just reacted quick enough to avoid getting bit by a rattle, rattlesnake. And he lives in New Mexico. And he said, and do you think my brother was scared rationally of that rattlesnake? Absolutely. My brother's a big, tough guy, but that was scary for him. How about the floodwaters over roads? You hear like, do not, if you see water going over the road, do not drive through it. Don't do it because that's a rational fear. The storm that's going on right now in Texas is a precious lady in our church today her daughter has water in her garage already that's a rational fear that she would have a two-year-old playing in the street you should be afraid you shouldn't let that happen because obviously something bad could happen a two-year-old at a point-blank range with a baseball in his hand, acting like he's going to throw it at you. Maybe you've heard me share that before. That's a rational fear. Because you're like, is it going to hit me in the head? Is it going to hit me in places I don't want it to hit me? And like, what is he going to do with it? And he just dropped it on my toe. That happened last night. It was a rational fear. How about the law? Do you think the law is a rational fear? Like the speed limit? It should be <laughs> for a rational fear. My wife is not as afraid of it as I am, but it's a rational fear. <laughs> And did you know, did you know that you have to come to a complete stop on a, re- a right turn on red? Did you guys, raise your hand if you know that's true. You have to come to a complete stop, right, okay, just kidding. Because I know someone personally that just for 30 years driving, she did not know that, all right? It's not my wife, by the way, not throwing her under the bus. <laughs> but I'm throwing Carrie under the bus. <laughs> Expired milk, I don't care if it's a day. For me... That's a rational fear. It's clear and present danger. Stay away from it. You know, don't even try it. Because even if it just smells okay, I'm just not okay with it. How about retirement? Retirement could be a rational fear for some. Next month's rent could be. Which, by the way, I just want to encourage you guys on this note. You, you responded, you stepped up, you, you showed your love in practical ways last week, and we were able to help that family get their rent, back rent taken care of. So bless you. Um, it's, it's just love and action. Thank you for being a part of that. People. People could be a rational fear. Just certain types of people, maybe. People you're afraid of. I was thinking about this last night. Do you think McGregor or Mayweather, if you know anything about the fight that happened, you know about this fight that happened last night? Like, do you think any, either one of those guys were afraid? I think they're a little bit afraid. Like, I think they're probably more afraid about their reputation, like what will happen if they lose. 
They weren't afraid of the paycheck. I mean, seriously, they don't have to worry about much about retirement anymore. But I'm sure there was a little bit of fear there. Death. I would guess that that is probably the number one fear of all human beings. Because it's so unknown. And then, and then this is a fear that we'll wrestle with this a little bit today. How about uh, fear of God? Fear of God. That's a rational fear. So what about irrational fears? So irrational fears would be uh, fear of a specific thing or situation that compels one to avoid it, despite the awareness and reassurance that it's not dangerous. Like your wife. I'm sure she's not dangerous. Look, she's so sweet. I mean, look at that beautiful face. How could she be dangerous? I think right in the middle of rational and irrational live the fear of rejection and the fear of love scorned. They say the greatest pain a human could feel would be love scorned. It's when you reach out and your hand gets slapped away. Like you extend yourself in love and it's not received and not given back. That could be rational or irrational. On the internet, there were some examples they gave. Long underground tunnels. Anybody have a fear of that? <laughs> Just, are we ever going to get out of here? You know, like, how long is this thing going to go on? Bridges. My kids, when they were younger, they had lift up their feet. Was it, would you lift up your feet when we go over a bridge? Or hold your breath? I think you guys would hold your breath. Yeah, like it was some kind of like, like, uh, wives tale or something like that but they said oh we gotta hold your breath to go over a bridge flying on an airplane you make any anxiety about flying on airplanes my dad was like late 60s before he even got on an airplane he said there I didn't lose anything up there and I'm not going looking for it and so he just didn't do it until finally one year he did and he said that wasn't so bad it was an irrational fear of his when the elevator door doesn't open immediately it stops and just for a moment, you think, oh, no. I should have brought my water bottle with me. Do I have my phone? Is it charged? Do I have a signal? And then it opens. You're like, Whew. escalators? Anybody? Irrational fear of escalators. I know some people that are afraid to go up or down them. One time, my little brother, he was afraid, and we got him to go on the down one. And as soon as it started going down, we run up to the top of it and watched him go. No wonder he has a fear of it, right? We just freaked him out. Open or close doors in your room? Maybe. You have to have certain doors closed, you know, certain ones. I remember Eliza, when she was younger, she always had to have the door open, you know, or, or, the, or the closet door shut, you know, because that closet door was going to keep that monster from getting out of that door. Monsters cannot open doors. They don't have hands. I don't know. It's crazy. But, uh, and then when she got older, it was the opposite. She wanted the door closed to her bedroom. Just close my door. It's funny how those things change. Holding babies. Do you know that's a rational fear for some people? I, I, on the other hand, love holding babies. <laughs> it's like, give them to me. Let me hold them. Maybe I should have an irrational fear of it. Uh, how about this? People. Maybe our fears of people are, is irrational. Maybe our fear of death is irrational. And then I would venture to say that our fear of God 
when I mean fear of God in an irrational way is that he's going to crush you somehow. Like he's just waiting for the right moment. And he's like that boogeyman in the video. He's going to step on you. But real quick, I, wanna just, I, wanna, I do want to share this about fear of God in a rational way. That scripture talks about it a lot. There is a lot of scripture about having a holy reverence for, a respect, a high respect for God. So when I, when I, when I say this fear of God, it's a high respect, living reverence towards him, living in an awe of him. And so listen, just a quick, uh, quick examples in scripture. We're not going to turn to all of them because we just don't have enough time. But I want to give them to you so that maybe you can think about them later. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And this, and I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible, the NIV, and you might have a different translation, but it's going to sound fairly similar. It says that, uh, for, fear the Lord your God and serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Make your promises, say your, make your commitments in God's name. Fear him and serve him only. In Joshua chapter 4, God demonstrates his power. He splits open the Jordan, the Jordan River so that the people could cross over to the promised land in order so that the people would see God's powerful hand at work so that they might always fear him. They see his power and they say, because of God's power, I will live in reverence towards him. Psalm 111 uh, verse 10. Psalm 111, by the way, is a great psalm. You should read the whole thing at some point. Verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding and to God belongs eternal praise. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So all throughout the book of Psalms, Proverbs, you'll discover multiple benefits of fearing God. And don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid. Don't have fear of reading about fearing God and walking in obedience and, and honoring Him. It's, there's blessing in honoring Him. It's good to do that. Just like it's good for children to walk in reverence and awe of their parents. It's a blessing to do so. Now at the end of Ecclesiastes, the writer tells the audience that the whole duty of man is to what? Fear God and to keep his commandments. That's the whole duty. That's what is, that's like, it's all wrapped up. And, it, and Jesus wraps it up in the two greatest commandments, love God, love others, which is fearing God and keeping his commandments, walking in reverence to him. So I just wanted to, to share that with you. So fearing God is not a bad thing. It's good for you. So last week I, I talked about some, a lesson that I learned from one of the speakers at this global leadership summit that I went to. And this is some lessons from, from the second day. I went back and I listened to this guy named Gary Haugen. And he is the CEO and founder of the International Justice Mission, IJM. It's a worldwide agency rescuing victims of violence, exploitation, slavery, and oppression. Like that's his job, is to rescue people out of these difficult places. His job is to rescue people who are living in rational fear every day of their life. And so he's got a calling to do this. And he wrote a book called Just Courage. And I think it's just in a couple different ways. It's just courage. It's what it's going to require. Or it's just, it's right, courage. 
God's great expedition for the restless Christian. I don't know, you get, you're bored with your faith? You want to get some excitement in your life? Join up with them and start rescuing people who are living in incredible oppression all over the world. Here are a few. So, because he talked about fear. He talked about fear because fear is the thing that keeps people from engaging in these kind of activities or, and really just jumping in to serving. And so he talked about a few things about faith. Here's some quotes that he said. Fear undermines love. And we, we saw it on the video. It's fear that comes against and tries to destroy love. He said, I have to learn to defeat my everyday anxieties. We might have some anxiety right now, the fact that it's raining really, really hard outside and we have enough rain already and you're worried about your basement or getting home, who knows? He asked this question, do I know what scares me most deeply? Do you know what scares you most deeply? Fear is the silent destroyer of great dreams. These great plans that you have had for your life, the things that you want to accomplish, but then fear seeps in, like, really? Can you really do that? I mean, is it really going to happen? What about this and what about that? And fear causes us to focus on self. And when we are focused on self, it drowns out love. I personally, as a result of listening to this guy speak, was thinking about this thought. I think fear messes with our love for the Father. It messes with how we love one another. And it messes with the love that we have for the calling that he has on your life. I'm a personal witness to this. It's a great segue into, to share with you the greatest fear. Now, I'll just, this is a selfish fear, and it, but I want to I share it with you because I just want to be vulnerable with you. The greatest fear for me as the pastor of this church is failing. Failing. And think about it, I face my fear every single Sunday that I get up here and preach. It's, it's me failing personally, and it's the church failing. And we become another statistic of the many churches that start and don't last in America. There are many of them. There's a graveside full of them. So I know my own inadequacies. I know my own propensity to just to not finish well or not to not to give it all or not to show uh, this persistence or whatever when you get start to get tired or when fear starts creeping in when the voices start telling you see I told you you couldn't pull this off because I was told there's no way you can do it Brady there's no way and I and there's a time in my life just even recently where I started to believe those lies so what about you what's your greatest fear now we're going to all participate today, okay? Thanks for being here. You're all getting the, going to get to participate. So let me, let me ask you this right now. If you don't have a bulletin with one of the tear-off sheets with you, and so if you're a greeter, an usher, or just someone that's involved in helping us do ministry here, I want you guys to help me out. If you don't have one of those sheets, one per family is fine. If you're here by yourself, you need one. But if you don't have one of those sheets, raise your hand, okay? All right. So let's make sure 
Joy will go grab some. Okay, if you don't have a pen to write with, raise your hand. All right? So we got some back here. Okay. Jennifer, would you go back and grab some pens? Let's make sure everyone has. Okay, so here's what I'm going to want you to do. This is, a, uh, this is one way. Keep your hand up if you don't have a, something to write on yet. Okay. So you got a few up here. My encouragement is that everyone does this, okay? Now, you can, for fear, choose not to participate. I'm not going to call you out. But I want you to, for one, fill out the front of it to let us know you're here. But on the back side of it, I want you to, if there's two of you together or three or whatever, write down names. And I want you to write down what it is that you are fearful of. What's your fear? What is your greatest fear? What is the thing that scares you most deeply? Okay, we still have, we need a bulletin up here. All right, we're going to have some writing music. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for helping out, just running around. Okay, I want you to... And then David, when you're done with that basket, bring it back here. If you're with your family, maybe you can discuss it with your kids. This is a great question for you as a parent. You get your little ones with you. Say, hey, what are you afraid of? You know, and fears are going to change as you grow older. I want you to put that basket right at the foot of the cross. Talk with each other. How many of you know what your spouse's greatest fear is? Maybe it really is you. (laughs) Maybe my wife's greatest fear is me. (laughs) I'll give you some time to, to think about it and to participate. This would be a great discussion. If your teenagers are out of the room, ask them when you get a chance to spend some time with them later on today. And kind of a side note, I really encourage you to take what you learn and don't just leave it here when you leave. Like, talk about it as you go. Go home, sit down, go to lunch, and hey, what did you think about that? What, do you, what are some rational fears in your life? What are, what are some irrational fears? They probably have some great examples that I haven't even thought of. Okay. You can go ahead and pull the music out. Here's what we're going to do with those pieces of paper. When we do communion at the end of the service, everyone's going to stand up. We're all going to go to our right. And when you walk past, there'll be someone standing over here uh, holding the offering basket. So if you came prepared to give, you'll drop your offering there. But your attendance sheets and your fears all get piled up at the foot of the cross. Does that make sense? Offering in the one basket, drop your fears, 
into this basket, and then we'll pick up the elements, and, and then we'll go back and do it together. So what does the Bible say about fear? I mean, it says a lot about it. There's tons of verses about fear or do not be afraid, do not be anxious. Some scholars would say around 365 different references to that topic alone. One for every day, right? (laughs) There's no way to process through all of them but I'm going to share just a few of, we talked about the fear of God, and this is like, what do you do with fear? This rational, irrational fears that we have. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, or the darkest valley, it says, I will fear no evil. And the reason why is because God is with you, and his rod and his staff comforts you, like he protects you and guides and directs you. Psalm 34.4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. We saw in Isaiah 41.10 on the video, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then just a few verses after that in Isaiah 41, it says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. Isn't that a cool picture of proximity? God said, I will walk with you. I will hold your right hand and I will help you. Friday night I was walking into the high school football game, which by the way, uh, there were a lot of people there. It was a beautiful night, and I run into a lot of people, but I ran into this police officer. It's a local police officer here in town. And he said, man, my faith is wavering, Brady. I, just, I see kind of, the, I see kind of the, the, the ugliest parts of humanity, and it just really causes me to be jaded. It really gets to me. And I, I, need to get back, I, need to, I need to get together with you. But every time I see him, he tells me that. I just need to get together with you. It's like, man, let's do it. Stop talking about it. Let's do it. Let's just let's get together and have a conversation. I said, but in the meantime, I wrote those two, I had already written those two verses down. And I had it in my wallet. I said, just here, read this. Because my guess is, is he walks in some rational, irrational fear in his job. And so hopefully it was a helpful tool. Okay, so what about the New Testament? What about the New Testament? We looked at some Old Testament passages, but what does the New Testament have to say about it? And I'm just going to focus kind of in one little area of, of, or a couple of areas actually, but really about what Jesus had to say to his followers as he was getting ready to leave. He's preparing them. He's getting them ready. He's getting ready to, to be crucified. He's going to be in the grave for three days. He's going to rise again. And can you imagine that they had some rational and irrational fear during that time? I mean, like, all of a sudden, life just completely took a turn for the worst. And it's never going to be the same again because their leader was gone. And Jesus was trying to prepare them. So in John chapter 14, he is reminding them and teaching them about some things that they really needed to hear right then. And probably they didn't really think too much about until afterwards. But I was reminded of this passage of Scripture yesterday when we went to uh, Libby's mom's funeral, Joy's grandma. It was precious. 
was a precious time just being there with them. And uh, in, this, in this sermon, he was talking about Jesus reminding his followers that he was going away to prepare a place for them. And in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled, so don't live in fear, because I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and that not only am I going away to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you with me to be where I am. That truth alone, if we let that resonate deep into our hearts, that God has a plan even in my death, he's preparing a place for me, and that I don't have to be troubled by it, that truth alone can help us walk through this valley and this deep fear that we have of the unknown called death. He tells them not to worry because the Holy Spirit's going to come, is going to live in them, is going to help them remember what Jesus is teaching them. You know, you may think, wait, you know, I, I walk out of church and I, I'm going to forget what he said. I didn't write it all down. There's that one thought I thought was cool, but I didn't write it down. Just ask the Holy Spirit to remind you. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you what it is that I really need to learn from this today. and How do I apply it to my life? See, that's very crucial to know that we're not alone in this, this thing called life. Because when we start to get fearful, we need to face these lies that come into our head with God's truth so that we can live fearless. It's the difference, fearful to living fearless. And then he says in John chapter 14, verse 27, and I say says on purpose. I don't say he said, because I think he said it then and he's saying it to us now. He says, peace I leave with you. And then Jesus says, my peace I give you. And I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then at the end of this conversation he's having with them before he prays these amazing prayers in John chapter 17, right at the end of John chapter 16, he tells them, in me you will have peace. So in Jesus you'll have peace. No matter what's going on around you, no matter what's happening in your world, you can experience his peace. But in the world, which is the broken cisterns that the song was talking about, chasing after things that we think are going to supply all that we need, but we realize they're broken and they're really not going to satisfy us. He says, in the world you'll have trouble. In me you'll have peace, but in the world you'll have trouble. But then he uses that great phrase, but... He says, I have overcome the world. And it really made sense to them later when he rises again from the dead and he conquers death. And that is the greatest way to overcome the world. The world can throw anything it wants at you, but as a follower of Jesus, in the end, it doesn't really matter because you win. You could lose everything here on earth, but gain everything in heaven. You know, and, and you might think, oh, that's just kind of pie in the sky, Brady. Does it really work? It's got to work because that's our hope. Our hope is that he's gone away to prepare a place and he's coming again for us one day. All right, so in your Bible, here's what I want you to do. Turn to 1 John. Now, there was John, the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then 1 John is towards the back of the Bible, right before 2 John. 
right before the last book, Revelation. So look at 1 John. Same writer, just writing at a different time, so a different audience. And it's, a, it's an incredible passage of Scripture that really just hits this idea of, of just love. And we talked about it in the video. Love, love, love. So 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Okay, I'm going to share this with you. Then I'm going to just give you a few practical things that John, uh, this Haugen guy shared with us at the end of his little talk, how we can apply these things to our life. And then we're going to come to the table and then we're going to remember God's great love for us. And hopefully in remembering this, we can conquer some of our fear and walk out of here fearless. Starting in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows him. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. Here's the thing. God's never going to ask you to do something for him that he has not done for you. Parents, (laughs) kids, they have already demonstrated for you. And they're not going to ask you anything that they haven't already done. I promise you. Here's how God demonstrated his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You want to know how to make God's love mature and complete and perfected in your life? Then love each other. That's it. That's how you do it. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his Holy Spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If, huge if, anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know that we rely on the love of that God has for us. So if you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, you believe in Him, you put your faith and trust in Him, God's love lives in you, and then He wants to live His love out through you. I met a guy just earlier this week. I went in and I, I blessed, we gave him some groceries. We blessed him. I prayed for him and his little boys. And I said, hey man, are you a man of faith? He's like, oh, I don't know. I believe there's a higher power. I'm just really not sure. I said, yeah, that's great. But who do you say Jesus is? I mean, I didn't say it with arrogance, but I said, man, who do, you, who do you say this Jesus is? Tell me about Jesus. Oh, I'm not real sure about Jesus, man. I don't know. But this passage of Scripture says if we believe that he is the Son of God, his love lives in us. And I said, you know what? You may not have met Jesus, but by the power of Scripture and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in me through the power of that Spirit, and now I'm here, so Jesus is here in your apartment. Jesus just gave you some groceries. That's worth an amen. Come on. All right, now, am I saying that I'm Jesus? No, but am I a representative of Jesus here on the earth? You better believe that I am. 
And you better believe if you're a follower of Jesus, you are too. And so how you live and how you love makes a huge difference for everybody outside watching. And it was amazing for this young man to say, you know what, I have never, ever heard that before. I've never seen it that way before. And so listen to what it goes on to say. Uh, let's see. Son of God, God lives in him. God is love. Whoever lives in, lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love has, made, has been made complete among us so that we will all have confidence on the day of judgment. We don't have to fear judgment, standing before God someday. If we have Christ in us, that fear is gone. And we don't have to fear that any longer. Because in this world, we are like him. I love that fact, that in this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. If we know Christ, we don't have to live in fear. We do need to live in reverence and in awe and obedience, but we don't have to be afraid of him like a good, good father, like an Abba father. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And that's what we are called to do as followers of Jesus, no matter where we are, who we are, what it is that we do for a living, none of that matters. We are all called to love. So here's some practical steps as we get ready to, to, to finish with communion. Once the band, go ahead and come on up. If you are serving communion, go ahead and come and get ready. So he gives some practical steps to stop living in this joy-killing fear. He said, sit still with God for 30 minutes every day. Maybe you can focus on some of these passages, passages that I shared today. Use that as a, a tool, thinking about fear and about how to overcome it. I'll be honest with you, to sit still for 30 minutes, it's not easy for me. It's not easy. There's too many things running through my mind. But he says, find a way and find a space to sit still with God for 30 minutes every day. If you have a 30-minute ride to work in your car, leave the radio off. Sit still with God. And talk to him about your fears. Forge a community of courageous people around you. Get around some other people who are walking in courage and who are walking fearlessly. And walk with them. If you're around people that are walking in fear too, it's not going to help. And then he says, trust God. And then learn to trust each other. That's not easy, is it? 
In our homes, there's been mistrust. In our communities, in our nation, in the church. We've got to learn to love and to trust each other. So here's the thing. If you're here today and you do not belong to Jesus because you've never believed in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, you can do that right where you're at. You can say, I believe that Jesus, you are the Son of God, that I want you to, to come and forgive me of my sin, come and live inside of me, help me to live in this life without fear, help me not to be afraid of death any longer, help me to conquer that fear. You can pray that right now, right where you're at. And I would encourage you to do so before you come to the table. Because this table is for those who, who say, I belong. I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of his. I'm not perfect by any means. But that's my desire. That's my heart. That's what I want. And so when, when they start singing, here's what we'll do. Matter of fact, you can just go ahead and do it now. Just go ahead and stand up. And when they start singing, you just move to your right. Or if you're on this side, obviously you can come to your left. <laughs> but you're going to come down. You'll, if you have an offering to give, Steve's standing there. Put it, place it in the basket. Your, your slips of paper with your fears on it, I want you to place them right in the basket, okay? We have two different lines, and so you can come to each line. If, you, if you're um, gluten intolerant, then there is a, a little tray right there on the table you can go grab something from there too just to make sure you know that I'm going to pray and then we're going to come Father right now in the name of Jesus I pray that your perfect love would cast out any fear that people are having right now in their hearts fear of rejection fear of you not loving them God I pray take away that guilt and that shame that they feel God I pray that if they they're just, the fear of the unknown, like, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? I pray they wouldn't be afraid that they would just trust you. They would step out in faith and believe and walk with you. God, would you take them with your righteous right hand? Would you hold their hand and walk with them as they walk down this aisle, as they come to receive bread that reminds us of your body broken, Lord Jesus, on the cross, and as they take a little cup of juice that reminds us of your blood poured out, to pay for the wages of our sin. So take away any fear that would get in the way, God. In the name of Jesus, amen.